reading from the letter to the Hebrews. Christ did not enter a sanctuary made by human hands, a mere copy of the true one, but he entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself again and again as the high priest enters the holy place year after year with blood that is not his own. For then he would have to suffer again and again since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once and for all at the end of the age to remove sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for mortals to die once, and after that the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. The word of the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. In the tabernacle ritual of ancient Israel, on the Day of Atonement, which was the one day of the year when the high priest was to enter the Holy of Holies, he would first have to cloak himself with incense, almost as a barrier between him and the Divine Presence. And he would enter carrying a bowl of blood from the atoning sacrifice to sprinkle on the mercy seat to atone for his own sins and the sins of the people. He would enter in his priestly garments, including the ephod on which was inscribed the names of the twelve tribes of Israel as a way of remembering and bearing the community of God before God himself. And Israel would be gathered around the tabernacle as the priest was hidden from their view, occluded by the curtain surrounding the Holy of Holies as he performed his liturgy, his work on behalf of others. And we're told in the apocryphal book of Sirach that when the high priest would reemerge from the tabernacle into the people's view, how splendid he was as he looked out from the tent, as he came from within the veil. Once he had completed the service at the altar and arranged the sacrificial hearth for the Most High, all the people with one accord would fall with face to the ground in adoration before the Most High, before the Holy One of Israel. For all the beauty and glory and solemnity of this ritual, we are told in the letter to the Hebrews that these things were mere shadows, copies of the thing itself. When Jesus entered into the real Holy of Holies, of which the earthly tabernacle was only a shadow, he was ushered into the presence of his Father. But he did not enter shrouded in incense, hiding himself away from the divine presence. He entered in face to face. Likewise, he did not enter in with a bowl of blood from an irrational animal. He entered in with his own sacrificial body. As the prophet spoke, a body you have prepared for me. And he did so to make atonement for sins a once and for all situation. 
So efficacious is the sacrifice that Christ offers that his day of atonement doesn't recur every single year. His sacrificial offering atones for the entire sins of the entire world, past, present, and future. Christ has done all of the work. The scholar Mary Healy summarizes well the tapestry that Hebrews is weaving for us here. That she says that Christ is the sacrificial victim whose blood purifies the living temple, the church, as the blood of animals purified the ancient tabernacle on Yom Kippur. He is the high priest who appears before God in heaven on our behalf, forever interceding for us. He is the suffering servant who, as Isaiah prophesied, offered himself to take away the sins of many. God did not deal with sin merely by divine fiat, canceling the debt but leaving the sinner unchanged. Rather, in Christ, he entered into the midst of the drama of human sin to annihilate sin and undo its damage from within. Much like the high priest of Israel would enter into the holy place with the names of the twelve tribes on his ephod, so Christ, our high priest, has entered into the true tabernacle with the names of his faithful in his church on his heart that he takes an intercession before his Father. And just as the community would gather and await the return of the high priest from the holy place, as was described for us in that passage from Sirach that I just read, so too the entire universe waits with bated breath the return of our great high priest to re-emerge from the sanctuary. And when he does, all people will fall on their face and declare him to be Lord of all things. For several weeks now, we have been hearing from this letter to the Hebrews the core message of persevere. Don't shrink back. Stand firm and steadfast in the faith that Jesus Christ is truly God the Son come in the flesh for us. And here we are reminded that even our ability to stand firm, our ability to remain faithful, is rooted in the very priesthood and intercession of Christ, which happens ceaselessly. He is enthroned in the heavenly realm and is interceding for you with his Father. He bears your name upon his lips in the heavenly throne room, even in this moment. And so the message of Hebrews to us is again, don't lose heart. Don't look back. Do not be enslaved to the fleeting pleasures of Babylon that lead only to destruction. A huge part of this perseverance is to gather with the ecclesia, with this community of God's people in the church, as she is formed around the Eucharist altar. In liturgical theology, it's referred to as anamnesis. It's this remembering by the church in the words of Christ's institution of the Last Supper, do this in remembrance of me, wherein we become more and more what we are made in our baptism, which is the mystical body of Christ. We are being remembered, right? Brought back together into the mystical body. And just as the people of Israel would await their high priest to emerge from the presence of God where he stood on their behalf, so we are people who wait 
eagerly for a vision of our priest as he returns from the heavenly tabernacle and is made all in all. In one sense, we are truly brought into the Holy of Holies as our hearts are lifted to where Christ is seated, where we are seated in him at the right hand of God the Father. But in another sense, the nave of the church is a waiting room. It's a place of anticipation where we groan along with all of creation for the redemption of our bodies. This is, at least in part, what it means for Christ to have arrived at the fulfillment of time in the last age. Time itself is fulfilling its telos, its purpose, in Christ's incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, and return. It was in the fullness of time, the exact right moment when Christ came and presented himself as an unblemished sacrifice for sin. And the church exists in this fullness of time. Now, it is not some accident of random chance that our lectionary has placed together all of the texts that you heard read just now. The Old Testament and our Gospel readings both clearly follow along the same theme, don't they? But what do they have to do with this lesson from Hebrews? The widow who provided a, provided a meal for Elijah and the widow who put her pennies into the offering treasury are both icons of Christ for us. Each of them understood exactly what was happening in the sacrificial ritual of Israel and they expressed their understanding by giving themselves as sacrifice. Likewise, Christ did not bring the blood of another with him into the heavenly holy of holies. He brought himself, his own flesh and blood. This widow in Mark similarly put herself into the treasury. Literally, all she has at her disposal, she puts into God's hands. Which is to suggest that if we take seriously Christ's gift of himself on the cross, the response of faith should always be to give ourselves back to him in trust. This is part of what we're doing in the Eucharist every week. In the presentation of the gifts, we see the bread and wine brought to the altar. Christ gives himself to us. He gives his body for our salvation and for our spiritual food. And then we see the collection, the offering place, with the symbol of our own selves, our money, our resources, our livelihood, our very selves, are brought up to the altar and blessed. This is a symbolic ritual that displays for us what St. Paul teaches in Philippians 2. That Christ, who is in his very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be exploited, but rather emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, giving himself over in obedience even to death on the cross. And therefore, that same mentality should be ours. That all of these things that we think of as ours are not really ours at all. Where all that we are is brought to the altar and offered up to God in a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. And we do this week after week because we need practice. We need to have a ritual wherein we can practice the day by day, moment by moment, giving ourselves over to Christ, letting go of our own demands, our autonomy, our self-sufficiency, so that we may eagerly await his, his arrival. 
which symbolizes for us the salvation of our souls. The question is, are we? Are we practicing the things that will make us glad at the collision of his kingdom with our own? Because that's exactly what is happening in his arrival. It is a collision of kingdoms. Are we preparing for what St. John wrote down in his Apocalypse, that the kingdoms of the world will become the kingdom of our God? Or are we content to burrow down in our own national enclaves, our own political camps, our own personal postage stamp kingdoms? Have we practiced putting our treasure, our very selves, into the treasury of God? Or have we held back, clutching and gasping at what we misperceive as ours? What I'm saying to you is that Hebrews 9 relates to 1 Kings 17 and Mark 12 in this. Christianity is not an add-on religion. It is founded upon the divine human high priest bringing nothing less than his whole self as the sacrifice for sin, holding nothing back in his offering to his Father. And the response that is called for on our part is the relinquishing of ourselves back to our Maker, no longer standing afar off, cordoning off parts of our life as our own, but rather placing all of ourselves, all of our resources, all of our ideologies and politics and knowledge, even our wounds and disagreements in his hands. This is what it means to trust. It's to give ourselves over we place ourselves on his altar to be united with him in his death so that come Monday morning we don't return to building our own little kingdoms. But instead, our whole lives become an outpouring, an offering up of everything for use in his kingdom, reflecting the disconcerting fact of his resurrection in our bodies that have been animated by his sacramental goodness toward us. That's what it means to feast on him. We become almost luminescent with his presence and we go out in the world carrying about the fact of his resurrection in our bodies. Which means that all of the diaper changing and dishwashing, all of the office politics and paperwork, the domestic drudgery and the workplace weariness, it can all become a quotidian mystery where the mundane becomes in some strange way holy where it can become an expression of God's work within us because our lives have been set apart for God and his kingdom. This daily mundanity can become holy because we have been brought into the sacrifice of Christ, being made one body with him that he may dwell in us and we in him. Friends, we have a great high priest who was made like us in every way and yet was without sin. And this high priest held nothing back in offering true worship to his Father. And we get to be brought into his worship together. I encourage you this evening, as you come and worship him in his feast, at his table, hold nothing back. Offer up your whole self as you receive Christ in yourself. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.